You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. When they Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Evert, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 48. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 3, verses 28 through 35. The Lord said, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting about him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around on those who sat about him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The opening verses from today's reading have been the cause of great concern for for many because we read about a sin that some have called unforgivable. And I'll read the opening verses again. It says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Father, can you help us understand what it is that Christ is is really saying here? Yes, so I understand that this can definitely be a concerning passage for people, but really I want to minimize that somewhat because I think the concern or anxiety actually comes out of a certain fear or a misunderstanding of what the Bible is ultimately trying to do on the whole. And what do you mean by that, Father? Well, I think if we really examine our thoughts and if we step back and see how God is often viewed by Christians, the picture is distorted from what the Bible is portraying. Specifically, what I'm, what I'm talking about here is that we see religion, not the Bible, but religion try to use guilt as a motivator. And then people often read that back into the Bible. And so I think the concern or the anxiety here stems from the fact that deep in our minds we sort of have this conception of God being a gotcha God, a God that's sort of got nothing better to do than to observe us all day just waiting for us to trip up and make a mistake and say, gotcha. And and so every time we make mistakes, every time we sin, we sort of view it as this cosmic event, and I ultimately believe that, A, that's you know, a very self-centered worldview. God has more things to do than just obsess on us individually. And then, B, it's got nothing to do with what the Bible is conveying on the whole. Father, I understand what you mean, and I'm not disagreeing with you by any means, but I do see how it's understandable when we hear about a sin being unforgivable, that we might worry about that a little. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, definitely understandable. That's that's understandable for sure. But I'm trying to point out that we always, always, always have to look at the bigger picture. And so with this passage, we need to look at the 99.9% of the Bible that's talking about the forgiveness of sins and how God does not desire the death of a sinner. And we definitely need to get rid of this guilt complex that many of us carry around and have been trained from a young age to have. Now, in dealing with this passage specifically from Mark 3, we also want to see the context of Jesus making this statement so that we can better understand what's going on. 
Yes, of course. Our our audience will be familiar with us always wanting to have an understanding of the context and not to just rip verses from the fuller narrative of what's happening. So perhaps you can explain the context here related to Jesus' statement about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So earlier in Mark 3, Jesus was healing on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees came out, and they accused him of being against God for healing on that day. And then right before today's passage, again in Mark 3, but right immediately before it, the scribes, and keep in mind the scribes are the ones who, before the printing press, reproduced Scripture. They make copies of it. So they know the words of Scripture well, if, even if they don't understand the meaning. So the scribes condemn Jesus, and they say that he casts out spirits by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And so it's immediately after this passage that Jesus mentions the unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And ultimately what that sin is then is saying that the work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit is actually the work of demons. Okay, so the unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which, as you mentioned from the context of the passage, is saying that the work of Jesus is actually the work of demons. So what about those who might say that or think that, but later change their mind and are convinced that Jesus is, in fact, God's Messiah? Yeah, very good question, and it sort of leads into why I said from the beginning we need to not be overly anxious just take, as one example, Saul of Tarsus, who was renamed Paul. Now, Paul was clearly opposed to Jesus. He was even a persecutor of the early Christians. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that Paul originally thought the work of Jesus was the work of the devil. But obviously, Paul changed his mind and went on to be the great apostle to the nations. Right. That's what I'm trying to get at. How is this sin unforgivable when we have examples like Paul? people who seemed to have condemned Jesus' work as evil, but later repented and converted and became Jesus' disciples. Yes, so my reading of it, again, taking into context this immediate chapter of Mark 3, and then more broadly the entire corpus, the entire body of Scripture, would be that this sin of blaspheming the Spirit, which I said is essentially saying that Jesus' work is the work of demons, is only unforgivable if one persists in that opinion and does not repent. So I guess I'm left wondering how that sin is different from any other sin that can be forgiven. Uh, What makes that sin of blaspheming the Spirit, of saying that the work Jesus did was of a demon, any different from other sins? Again, great question, Jason. My understanding of that would be that we clearly all sin, and even after we're Christians, we continue to fall short, we make mistakes, you know, sometimes greater than others. But... Those sins can all be forgiven by God. They can be overlooked. But the sin of saying and and then persisting in the belief that the work of Jesus Christ is demonic is simply unforgivable. That is a sin that will not be forgiven if one persists and dies in that sin. It's a complete and total rejection of God. So unlike some of those other sins where we all may fall short, you know, persisting that the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus is demonic is is, uh, another sin unto itself. Okay. Father, thank you for uh, your explanation of that difficult passage. Moving on from there to later in today's reading, we hear the crowd tell Jesus that his brothers and mother have arrived, and they're asking for him. And he replies, Who are my mother and my brothers? And he then goes on to answer his own question. 
Father, would you explain Jesus' response? Sure, and, and for our listeners, Jason, please uh, read the response about who are his mother and brothers. Sure. The passage says, And looking around on those who sat about him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Thank you. So a couple things to point out. The first thing to note is that Jesus' family was standing outside. And this is significant because what we see in the entire ministry of Jesus is that the insiders usually end up on the outside and the outsiders end up on the inside. Mm. Uh, What exactly do you mean by that? Well, in general, the highly respected people, whether they be the religious leaders, the people who are pious, or the high government authorities, the ones who are the insiders from the perspective of having more control over society or over religion, end up on the outside of Jesus' group. That is to say, they're not part of his inner circle. They're not part of the group who associates with or endorses Jesus. Then on the other hand, those who are normally outsiders, those who have been cast out of the synagogue due to their sin or their ritual impurity, those who are poor and not considered a value to society, those who may be isolated because they're sick, those are the ones who end up being in Jesus' inner circle. So Jesus turns these normal societal relationships and associations upside down. The outsiders become the insiders, and the insiders become the outsiders. And so what we see here is that the insiders of Jesus, his own biological family, end up being here on the outside. So, Father, how does that align with Jesus's mother specifically being portrayed positively elsewhere in the Bible and certainly in the Orthodox Christian tradition? Yeah, good point, and and the reason that Mary is portrayed in a positive light is because she followed the will of God in giving birth to Christ, and it's important to remember at the time when she did that, she could have been stoned for having become pregnant out of wedlock, so she was willing to submit to humiliation and possible death in order to bring Christ into the world. But also, even as his biological mother, we hear, for example, uh, John 2, the famous wedding at Cana, that Mary herself submits to Christ and tells the people to submit to him, saying, do whatever he tells you. So there's no contradiction. There's just this notion that Jesus' true family is based not on biology or genealogy, but on faith. And if his biological family puts their trust in him as God's Messiah, as Mary did, then they are his family on that basis and not on the basis of biology. And so ultimately... This passage is a reflection of this broader biblical teaching that God's family is not based on DNA or biology or genealogy, but on doing God's will. And this goes back, uh, by the way, to the Old Testament. It's certainly something that is fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ, but it's at work in the Old Testament as well, in the prophets prophesying about it, but also in stories where the Gentiles become part of God's community on the basis of putting their trust in the biblical God. Thank you for highlighting those things, Father. And you mentioned earlier that you had a couple of points uh, on this portion of today's reading about the mothers and brothers of Christ. Uh, So before we conclude, I want to make sure that we covered everything that you wanted to mention. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So one one more thing I would like to uh, point out, and that is that in this passage, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. It's a term oklos in Greek. It can also be translated as multitude or even as, uh, um, as a mob. And so again, just as I said about the insiders being on the outside, the outsiders being on the inside, so it is 
with this crowd or with this mob. A crowd or a mob, by virtue of the fact that they're a crowd or a mob, are made up of commoners. And no matter what uh, we think about some of the protesters or mobs we've seen recently protesting here in America, I think we can all agree uh, that the people that are there as part of the mob or part of the crowd are not the elites. The elites are not part of the mobs, and they never have been and never will be because they're elites, and they can accomplish what they want without joining a crowd or a mob. They're powerful. The mob is essentially powerless unless perhaps they gain some power through their strength in numbers. But in any case, the point is that in noting Jesus was surrounded by a crowd, Mark is yet again taking the opportunity to point out that Jesus is dealing with the commoners and not the elites, with the powerless and not the powerful. And obviously, uh, this theme will be present throughout the entire life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Our discussion today began with an examination of a verse that contains what is often referred to as the unforgivable sin. From a thorough understanding of the preceding verses in Mark's Gospel, we see this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an accusation that the work of Jesus is the work of demons. Father Aaron used the example of St. Paul to illustrate that this particular sin, as with all sin, can be forgiven if we repent. Only in persisting and dying in this sin against the Holy Spirit will we not receive forgiveness. In the end, this belief is a complete and total rejection of God. We then turn to the verses from today's reading where Jesus describes who is part of his family. Father explained that Jesus' true family is not based on biology or genealogy, but on faith. Put another way, to be part of God's family is not based on our DNA, but on doing the will of God. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. O our God and our hope, glory to thee.